My name is Jeremy Devins, and welcome to the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be talking all about the three phases of teaching yoga. And what are the three phases? And is it just something I made up? And is it something that actually helps you as well? To me, I think it's one of the most valuable perspectives I've found on yoga practice, and especially as a teacher. So I think you'll find it incredibly valuable as well. And there's a free guide that goes with this at quietmind.yoga slash three phases, the number three, the word phases. And you can see this sort of uh, free outline and overview so that you can understand where you might be at in your process and how you know when it's time to move on to the next phase. And it's cyclical. So if you're in phase three and you're teaching and you're sharing things that you've spent many years developing and practicing, it may be time to move to phase one. So how to understand when to do that. You can see all that at the free guide at quietmind.yoga slash three phases. The number three, P-H-A-S-E-S. And we'll actually be using that guide as a sort of template for this episode. So you can follow along if you have access to a computer screen to look at right now uh, or your phone to look at while you're listening to this podcast. But if not, totally fine. So the three phases, what are they? Well, I've been teaching yoga since around 2011, and I noticed that there's some patterns to how I've learned over the years. And once I noticed these patterns, I asked others if they were experiencing the same thing or if this sort of uh, overview that I found resonated with their own experience. And for many people, it did. And it was very validating and helped me see that there is something to this. So I think I'm on the right track, and again, I hope this was, you find this helpful as well. But I'm just going to share what this is, how it's shown up for me, and how I've seen it work for others as well, and why I'm using it to share it in my teacher training that I'm launching in September, uh, the online yoga teacher training with Quiet Mind Yoga. So I began applying these three phases, and instead of just kind of randomly learning bits and pieces and Really, the the problem I was facing was I was going to a lot of classes, and at first that was new and exciting, and I was learning so many things. But after a while, I started going to classes and realizing that maybe a teacher was less experienced than me, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I was just starting to feel like I wanted to learn more, and I wasn't learning as much as I used to, because of course, anytime you learn a new thing, there's this phase at the beginning where everything is new and exciting and fresh, and there's lots of transformations and realizations. But that starts to peter out, and that's where people might start to feel disillusioned with their practice. And I've talked to people who say that they've plateaued, or, oh yeah, I used to do yoga, but now I do this, and it's more interesting. And why is that? And was that my fate? And I started to wonder for, there was like a two-year period, maybe two years ago, where I started to question my practice more and think, well, have I kind of done it all? Because I have talked to people who had said that. And uh, I was like, well, maybe there's something to that. Maybe there is, you know, there's a point where you've kind of, you've spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours practicing and repeating certain things. Uh, do you really need to keep doing that? And what's the value in that? And is, is there maybe a new perspective to find? So realizing these three phases was how I was learning to begin with really helped me make sense of it. And there's two key points where I really realized that this is how this thing really works. And one is that I did a couple, I did a lot of training. So from around 2008 to 2014, I did a lot, a lot of trainings, uh, hundreds, hundreds of hours, 
thousands of hours, actually. Uh, so I, I did mentorships, I did apprenticeships, I did teacher training programs, I did life coaching programs, I did all sorts of personal development work, men's groups, men's programs. Uh, There's there a lot of stuff, meditation trainings, 10-day meditation sets, retreats. I, I was very fortunate to get to experience a lot of this stuff and uh, somehow make it all work, even though I wasn't making any money at the time. Uh, but I got to experience all this stuff and then something in me just felt compelled to start sharing it more. And I was really inspired to create a mentoring program. And I did that in 2016. And uh, I was, I just felt like this urge, like this is, this is going to be awesome. Like I'm going to take everything I've learned and share it with other people. And uh, I've had so many amazing breakthroughs and personal growth and so much experience so many great experiences that I want to share that with other people so I started creating that and then as it started approaching this fear swelled up in me and I started to wonder like do I really know this stuff like am I really qualified to teach this who am I to lead a mentoring program you know all of these voices of fear and insecurity and doubt and uh, after a little while that I reached out to my mentor one of my close mentors and asked her for support and I was like I just need help I don't know what I'm doing, should I just call this thing off? Am I, uh, is this just my ego, like trying to get validation? Uh, am I actually gonna be able to help these people? All, every fear you could think of was running through my head. And uh, she really sort of talked me off the ledge and helped me realize like that I have done a lot and she, she sort of validated like you've put in so much, you've invested so much in yourself and you have so much to give. And she reflected back, you know, just what I've done and, and who I've become and, and how that can help others and that I don't really need to have it all figured out. And really what I came to the conclusion of looking back on it, you know, recently over the last couple of years of that moment is that really there was this sort of fear of being in phase three of, of, of this process of where I just share what I've learned. There was a lot of this, and one of my other teachers mentioned a similar thing happened for her, where whenever she has like a retreat coming up or a big event coming up, or she's going to share what she's learned, she starts to think she needs to read all these books and learn all these new things and, and like get all this stuff and pack her training with all this new information that she hasn't even learned yet. And that's basically going, trying to go back to phase one and two, which for me was very safe and familiar at that point and being afraid of being into phase three. So it's very, I realize it's very important because I, I would try to uh, learn something new. And I, I was like trying this in classes at that time before the mentoring program started. Like I would maybe read a new book or get some new perspective or go to a class and have some new realization. And then I tried to add that into my class, but it just wasn't embodied yet. I didn't have it. Like it, I, I didn't spend enough time really processing it and digesting it and making it my own to be able to share it with other people. But in the mentoring circle program, I had done enough. Like I had been a mentee for so long and had my own realizations and was ready to create that experience for other people. But with these new things that I was like learning at that time and trying to add them into my classes, like I hadn't embodied yet. So it, it felt inauthentic. It felt not really like helpful uh it it when it actually would say the things in class it didn't feel resonant and true so i realized looking back that i basically was in phase three but 
trying to go back to phase one and two to feel sort of safe and comforted or, or make sure that, you know, I was able to actually do something that I knew would be helpful because something that was helpful to me, but I hadn't embodied yet, embodied it yet. So that was the first real sort of realizing there's some, there's a process to this. Like I can't be in phase three teaching and sharing what I've learned and try to jump into phase one and two and learn something new and have it have any sort of authority or power because I haven't embodied it yet. So the second one was talking to a friend, uh, a yoga teacher in Austin, and he was saying how he became he become disillusioned with his practice. And he had been doing yoga for eight years at that point and just sort of drifted away from it. Like he felt like he'd done everything there was to do and now he was doing something else. He was more into acro yoga and uh, some other sort of strength training stuff and stuff that was complementary to the yoga he was already learning. And I've seen this more and more over recent years and something I've come to in myself as well, coming from a background of I got into strength training and weight training at a young age, around 18, and then got into yoga around uh, 20 22 around there a uh, a few years later so I sort of reached a plateau with the strength training and then I got into yoga and was like this yoga is amazing I'm just going to stick with this Uh, and there I'd say even more so then there was a lot of sort of thought that yoga is all you need and you can get everything you need from yoga strength flexibility balance all the things and I just stopped doing the weight training and I even thought it would be foolish to do the weight training because of the misconception and the myth at the time that strength and stretching are opposites and that if I get stronger, I'm going to get, my muscles will be shorter and less flexible and counterproductive to my yoga practice. Until I started seeing students who came to class who were extremely fit and very muscular and very flexible. It started to make me question my assumptions there. So I started to add the strength training back in and it enhanced everything. So my hamstring tension went away my back pain went away I became more flexible and stronger and leaner and my muscles got bigger and more flexible and I didn't lose anything it was all very complimentary Uh, and that's something that I was sort of realizing and coming to in my own in myself and seeing in this friend of mine who's uh, basically having these new realizations and growth and but throwing out the yoga practice and saying, well, I don't need that anymore. I'm going to go in this direction, which I had done previously with the weight trainings, like throughout the weight training, just go with the yoga. And really what I've realized since then is that that's essential. There's a part, there's a, there's a time where you're learning one thing and you've developed it and you've got it down and then you share with others. And then you got to go back to being a student again and start over. And that's going from phase three to phase one. And if you just try to stay in phase three, that's where you start to feel like, especially as a teacher, because he was a teacher, to feel like you're just repeating yourself, that it's just like all the same, like you've plateaued and it's gotten boring and repetitive and now you're onto something else. But what's really powerful, I think, is to keep adding on. So it's like a snowball effect. You just keep building on and you keep recycling through this process or like the rings on a tree, like a tree keeps recycling through the seasons and adding new layers and not 
just like stop become a tree and just die and, and turn into mulch and uh, become something else it's like you just keep adding on to what you've already got and then you add layers and depth and complexity and dimension to your teaching and your practice and your life really so what I learned is to go back to that phase of being a student but not throw out what you've learned and what you've established already but add on to it and I've seen that play out and since I've noticed these patterns uh, in the first example and the second example for myself and people around me I've asked around and and it plays out in similar ways for many people so maybe you can find this for yourself and I'd be curious to hear if you have your own personal examples of this Uh, you can message me at jeremydevins at gmail.com I'd love to hear from you but I'm going to go into now more about each phase and what they really are because I've just kind of given you an overview of how it's shown up for me but the first phase is studying the fundamentals the second phase is deepening your practice and the third phase is sharing what you've learned so in phase one you, you just focus on learning like what is yoga where does it come from like if for example if the topic is yoga and you've likely heard that phrase like you don't know what you don't know and that's really where you're starting is there's so many things like what i know now versus what i knew two years ago or five years ago it's just worlds away as far as my understanding of yoga practice and that just takes time and if you have something like this where i feel like i'm learning new things every single day and you compound that for 10 plus years of course you're going to be worlds away from where you started years later Uh, but it always comes back to studying the fundamentals so uh, recently for me that was studying the fundamentals of anatomy and and developing my skill there because i felt like i had a knowledge gap and so i went through this process there where i learned okay what are what books should i look at what teachers should i follow what practices can i do because just going to random drop-in yoga classes was not giving me that anatomy training that i wanted drop in regular random yoga classes uh, it gives you good asana understanding good mind muscle connection like there's a lot of great value and benefit to it but there is also of course a lot of weaknesses to it and you just can't expect any one thing to be everything you have to look and broaden and and try new things so when you find those knowledge gaps and you think oh i don't know what she's talking about with meditation i want to learn more about this meditation and or anatomy or the chakras or the vedas you know there's there's so many topics and just what it falls under the category of yoga that i feel like this is really a lifetime study and having this framework makes it a lot more doable because instead of what i felt before i was just randomly picking up bits and pieces and trying to figure out how they all fit together and what all made sense now it's like when you catch a knowledge gap and you want to learn something you start in phase one you can study the fundamentals of it and you've probably maybe you've heard this idea that if you read three books on any topic you can become an expert in that topic now is that really true i don't know but i think it's it's relevant it's (laughs) relevant to to my own experience and i've found that usually i can find two to five really really good books on a topic for example with anatomy uh the anatomy coloring book is one of my favorite books and if you ask me for recommendation that's a good place to start Uh, or you know for 
me, there are certain teachers that I follow. And if I just follow pretty much everything they say, I feel like I've got a really good education on that topic. So just having maybe three books or three teachers or resources on a topic is a great place to start in this phase of studying the fundamentals. And then once you start to get that big picture overview, the mindset, you know where to look for answers, you know who to trust, you start to explore, and then you want to dig deeper. And that's where you go to phase two, deepening the practice. So now instead of seeking out, so this is where you stop buying new books and you stop going to new uh, workshops and, and seeking all these things but you just focus on that one topic and you go deeper into it and you take what you've already learned and you apply it and you repeat it and you put it in practice, practice, practice. You myelinate your brain, which takes time. You build the mind-muscle connection, which takes time. You're building the new neural pathways from uh, a thought and idea into embodying it. And you might have heard uh, Satchidananda's say, who, who's, who wrote a book on the Yoga Sutras, uh, commentary on the Yoga Sutras, that's kind of the definitive uh, commentary. He said, stop digging shallow wells, and you have to dig deep to reach water. I read that early on in my uh, seeking, because I was in that phase one of just like, almost like window shopping where you're comparing everything and you're trying this yoga class and that style and this teacher and, and that book. And he said, stop digging shallow wells. If you, you know, if I just keep digging shallow wells and, and just trying these things on the surface, I'm never going to basically the image I got was like becoming dehydrated and dying because I don't actually dig enough to get to the water to save my life. You know, it's a little dramatic, but it kind of stuck with me. And I think there is, there's totally a time to be digging shallow wells and trying different things and, and just seeing what's out there. But after a while, you got to put your stake in the ground and dig in and, and stick with one and go into it. So for me, that was for a couple of years, I just fully focused on Kundalini yoga and the spiritual aspects of practice and the breath work and mantra, all the stuff that goes into Kundalini. And for a while, it's just like the embodied physical practice like Hatha yoga and vinyasa yoga right so even in those i'm talking about multiple categories i could have spent years just on mantra or years just on pranayama but you get the idea so this phase two is where you really embody and deepen the practice and you dig in and then phase three now you've got it so you start to feel like you know what the teacher is going to say before they say it and you can go to a class and sort of see the big picture of, oh, here's why they're doing this sequence and I can uh, expect like they're gonna do this or you go to a class and uh, the teacher misses a, a cue on one side and you catch it. Those are sort of clues that you, you've got it down. And that could take months, weeks, years, uh, lifetimes, and you just are learning the, the depths of the practice. And after that repetition, now you, you got it. So now you got to give it away because that's how you really know you have something. You only truly have it when you're able to give it away. And now you might be an actual yoga teacher listening to this podcast, or you might just be somebody who has people in your life that you, you, you interact with and you embody yoga. So one of my teachers early on, she said that she used to go to her Thanksgiving dinner, which is kind of the time that her family all came together, the one time of the year where everyone came together. 
and she said she used to go to those family dinners and be a yoga teacher where she would say, you know, talk about why she doesn't eat meat and talk about uh, her beliefs and how her mom could change. And uh, it's awful, just just not good. And then she realized that wasn't working. That wasn't making her uh, any closer to her family. And it was creating more disconnection than anything. And then she said after that, after a couple of years of that, she decided to go to uh, her Thanksgiving dinner and not be a yoga teacher, but be a yogi and just be herself and not try to change anybody or teach anybody, but just to embody what she's learned. And it's a subtle difference. And maybe you get what I'm saying, but it's the same thing as like if you're with somebody and they're in pain and they need help and support rather than saying, here's a yoga practice to relieve grief. It's like, no, 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 no. You sit with them, you be with them, and you listen to them. And you become a listening presence, a compassionate presence, a safe place for them to feel heard and seen and express themselves. All right, so that's one way you share what you've learned because you've taken all this time to listen to yourself, to be patient with yourself, to be compassionate to yourself. No matter what aspect of yoga you're learning, that's all part of yoga. And now you are with someone else and they need those qualities. They might not have those inner resources right now, just like you might not have had them at certain times. One of the most valuable things one of my mentors ever did for me that's always stuck with me is I was in a really rough place, just mentally distraught, worried, afraid, feeling insecure. And I sat down next to her and she listened and she put her hand on my low back and that was it. She didn't give me any advice. She didn't tell me what to do. She didn't try to fix me or change me. She didn't teach me any new yoga practice. She just listened and held space for me. And I cried and I felt relief and I felt safe and I felt heard and nothing else was needed. That was it. Like she didn't need to give me any homework. She didn't need to teach me anything new. She just was a healing presence. And I think that's what's really possible uh, with embodying yoga and with learning these things. And of course, if you want to be an actual teacher, and that's when it comes down to finding what you've learned and codifying the techniques and skills, just like I'm doing here, right? I've observed things and realized things over the years, and I've realized there's three phases to this. I can't think of any extra phase that I'm missing. I can't think of anything I could take away here. This is really what's happening. There's a process. Just like in Ayurveda, there's a three-season sort of perspective of what happens in nature. I think it's the same thing here with our learning. So I'm sharing what I've learned. I'm in phase three with this aspect of my practice, but I'm in phase one in other aspects of practice. And I think that's very important to recognize and, and be okay with and to know that you're going to be in different phases with different topics and different areas of your practice. So this is all building on the 10 core competencies. So what are you going to learn? Like if, if we're just saying staying under the umbrella of yoga and these three phases, and you're going to go to phase one and study the fundamentals, what are the fundamentals? Well, that's all I talked about in the last episode, a new approach to yoga that you can listen to in the archives. And that's the 10 core competencies of yoga. There's a self-assessment you can get to sort of evaluate where you're at. And if you see that one of those areas is a 10, 
you're ready to share what you've learned there. You could do a workshop. You could do a class on that. You could write a, a blog about that, make a YouTube video. Uh, or again, just know that you've got that in your pocket and you can share that with others and be a healing presence for others and do service work, karma yoga, give back to others. But if there's an area you're like a one or two or even a zero, that's okay. I want to learn a little more about uh, asana or more about energetic anatomy. That's a good place to start to explore. And these are broad categories, but they contain, best as I can tell, every aspect of yoga within these 10 categories. So if, you, if you're not familiar with that, go check out that last episode. But quickly, they're in alphabetical order. Anatomy, apprenticeship, having a mentor or teacher you work with, asana, the postures, the business of yoga. This is really teacher-specific, so knowing the ins and outs of marketing, business, all that stuff. Energetic anatomy, like the prana, the koshas, the knowing what maya is, the kleshas, all these sort of things, uh, gunas, doshas. The meditation and mindfulness. And there's teaching skills, Vedic sciences like Ayurveda and Vedic astrology and the Vedas themselves, the Upanishads, the source of yoga teachings. Yoga history and how it's the five major uh, periods of yoga history. Yoga philosophy and applying these things and uh, the mindset and beliefs and, and sort of approach to yoga. Purusha and Prakriti and things like that. So if any of those areas I talked, I mentioned seem like a huge knowledge gap for you, then it's a good place to start to get into phase one. And I'll talk about now what phase one might look like, things you might say in phase one, things like, I don't know, or I have so much to learn, or where do I start? or How do I do this? Am I doing this right? What do I need to know? Right? These sort of things are things you would ask in phase one. Things you might do in phase one are find a mentor or teacher who can help you. Find a community of like-minded peers. You get the big picture overview of the topic you're learning and you read books about that topic. And there's this, like I said, there's that saying, if, if you read three books about any topic, you're, you've got enough information to become an expert on that topic. Information is the key word there because you've got to embody it in phase two. The lessons you're learning in phase one are really the origins and history of that topic, the sort of big picture overview of it, and the context of where of what you're learning in that history. You're learning the mindset and beliefs that go into that topic. You're learning who to trust, what teachers to listen to, which teachers to follow, and which ones are not as helpful. You're learning how to have a beginner's mind and be curious again, which is, I think, one of the most valuable skills to have in life in general, just to always have a beginner's mind and be curious and open and have a sense of wonder and awe and exploration. And you know it's time to move on to phase two when you begin to think like your teachers and you know what they're going to say before they even say it. And you feel like you could give a good summary on the topic. So if someone asks you, about asana you you know just say oh it's just yoga poses i guess but you can actually have a good understanding of how it's a seat for meditation and how it evolved from just a few seated meditation postures uh, in the vedas and the old teachings to the work of the ascetics and hatha yoga and how it's evolved since then so you have a bigger understanding of what asana is or whatever the topic is 
and then you've memorized important quotes or teaching on the topic. So you don't even have to think about it, but quotes just come out of you that you've learned related to that topic. And you feel confident doing the basics correctly. So if it's asana, again, you can be in a class and they say go in the down dog and you get into it and you just, you know what you're doing. Like, you okay, look at this here, slightly externally rotate my arms, slightly internally rotate my thighs, root down through the base knuckles, you know, all these sort of things decompress the spine. You, you have an idea of what you're doing and why you're doing it and uh, a confidence in your practice that you develop from learning the, the knowledge. So now you've got that confidence and you don't need to keep reading the books and getting the knowledge. Now you need the experience. Move into phase two, deepening your practice. So things you might say in phase two are, wow, I didn't notice that before. Or I just realized this new aspect of practice. Or I see how these things are connected now. Or now I really get it. And I'm excited to get to practice again. And what if I try it this way? You start experimenting with things. The things you do in phase two are just practice, practice, practice. And as you keep doing that, you're digging a deeper well in the spirit of Satchitananda's quote, and you have realizations and new perspectives. You start to notice coincidences and synchronicities and how things are all connected. You experiment, you try different approaches. So now you see, okay, this does that, and this is how this fits together. So what if I try this? And then you take everything you've been told and you, you test it for yourself. And that's that's more towards the end. You really start testing all the things your teachers are saying and, and see, well, is this true from my experience? And then you learn the how and why of the thing. So at first you're learning more of the what. So you're learning, okay, so this is what I do to get into down dog in this particular asana. And this is... This is it. So I'm in it. I'm in the pose now. Okay. So now I start to understand like how this affects the next pose and the pose before it, and and why the teacher might sequence these things together, and you really start to see the connections of everything. The lessons you're learning in phase two are the specific details. So phase one is more general. Phase two is the specifics. Learning the patterns and sequences and how things are connected. You're learning how to myelinate. You're not really learning how, but your brain is myelinating as you're doing this. You're, it's becoming uh, sort of automatic. And the brain loves automatic, where things become habits and patterns and routines. So you're developing that just by repeating the practices and, and showing up to your practice. And you're building mind-muscle connection, which again just takes time and repetition. So... There's a new neural pathways being created that make it easier to, for example, in locus pose to activate the muscles of the back, which took me years to really be able to feel my rhomboids and my lower traps and to activate the back. And it just takes time to get that. You're learning confidence. You're knowing what, why, and how you're doing what you're doing. And when you know it's, you know it's time to move on from phase two and move on to phase three, when you start seeing many steps ahead in what you're learning. So a teacher, you might be go to a class and you're 10 minutes into it and you kind of already get the big overview. Like you know where the teacher is going from here and you can see the big picture and even the details before they even uh, show them to you because you've done it so many times. You start to feel like you're stagnating in that area 
And this is where those people I've mentioned, they plateau and they start to feel like, well, maybe I need to just drop this yoga thing and do something else. Maybe that's true. And maybe it's just that you need to start teaching what you've learned and give it back so you can sort of let it go and then move on and learn something new. And you learn from others and it's at this point now you're towards the end of phase two and you, you're learning from others and you notice how you would do it differently or details that they miss. Or you're trying to, or you try doing the things that lead to realizations that you did in the past and you feel like you're going backwards. So it's not getting the same effect anymore. It's like you're digging that well that got you to the water, but it's, you've taken all the water, it's run dry. Now you've got to uh, stop digging that well and then start showing somebody how you dug that well and how you found the water. So phase three, I think I'm taking this Satchitananda metaphor about as far as it can possibly go. I think that's, that's about it. So phase three, you share what you learned and the things you say in phase three are, the best way to sum up what I've learned is blank. Or in my experience, blank. Or this is the best way I've found to blank. And another common thing uh, is to be kind of contrarian and say, many people say blank, but I've realized blank. And, or a mistake I've made is blank. And here's how you can avoid making that mistake too. So you're, you're making conclusions and that's what you're really, things you're doing in phase three is you're making conclusions about all you've learned and tried. You codify what you've learned into lessons. You embody and just are what you've learned not just mentally, not just physically, but in your presence. And this is where you start to mentor others, just like you've been mentored, you give back. You lead others by serving them to the best of your ability. So the lessons you're learning in phase three are ownership, making the teachings your own, learning leadership and helping others the way that people helped you. You're learning service and focused on giving back rather than receiving at this point. This phase is all about giving and not receiving contentment you're learning to trust that you learned enough for now and this was the thing that i came up against when i did my first mentoring program was it's like am i really enough do i have enough have, how many thousands of hours do i need to be able to stand confidently in front of a group of other people and say here's what i've learned here's how it can help you All right so you've got to just at some point say okay i've learned enough and i can share it you're also learning healthy ego and putting your stake in the ground to say, this is who I've become and this is what I have to share and it's valuable and it's changed my life and here's how and here's how you can apply what I've learned. And you know it's time to move on from phase three back to phase one when you start to feel like a broken record. You're just repeating phrases that were once meaningful to you, but now they just you're just saying them because that's what you've always said. You realize there are things that you still have so much to learn about and you see how they can help others and help you be of better service if you fill those knowledge gaps. You become known for a particular perspective and see how you could challenge or test that perspective. So people think of you as, oh, she's the, the person who's really good at teaching anatomy or she's really good at teaching yoga philosophy. Okay, well, that's, that's great to have that real developed skill, but you might start to feel like, well, I'd love to also be able to teach about meditation and mindfulness, and that really interests me, and I don't want to just be stuck as, you know, in this sort of niche. 
So you start to feel like you want to learn something else, and that's where you, you want to go to phase one as well. Or you become you might just become fascinated with a new aspect of practice. Like uh, this is something I've I've still never dug into, but I hear people talk about the sort of stories and mythology of the postures and the stories of like Nataraja and Vashista and uh, you know these sort of teaches uh, the stories of the teachers and sages of yoga and, and Indian history stuff fascinates me but I've never really gone into phase one to like okay what books do I need uh, what teachers to follow uh, it hasn't been a huge priority for me but that's an example and that's something that I would love to learn in the future and and do that and go through the process and having this framework now I it's so much easier to see okay so I go into phase one find the teachers learn the basics then dig into phase two and, and go deeper and, and apply what I'm learning uh, and not just like I mistakenly thought at some point in the past to like, okay, I'll just get this book about mythology of postures and read a paragraph and then teach about that paragraph. No, 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 no. It's, it's not embodied. It's, it has no gravity. It has no power. It has no authority. It has no experience. There's no transmission. And one of my teachers would say uh, we're reciprocal beings. The mirror neurons are really what we're picking up on. So you go to a class and if they've spent decades practicing and uh, you can just feel it in their presence that they're really transmitting that like your mirror neurons are picking that up and you're in a way absorbing that information. And now there is some science to that, but it's there's a little woo woo to that as well. But that's my experience. I, I feel that's definitely true. You're you're picking up on uh, what somebody has embodied and that's what phase three is all about. You've embodied it. Now you're transmitting it to others. Uh, and you can't do that unless you've embodied it yourself. And then you go to phase one and you just repeat the whole cycle. All right. So this is my overview. These are the three phases of teaching yoga from phase one, studying the fundamentals to phase two, deepening your practice and phase three, sharing what you learned. Now, again, if you want to review this and follow along and re-listen to this, because I think it's something you'll want to come back to many times over the years as you go back to phase one, back to phase two. You can get this free guide at quietmind.yoga slash three phases. The number three, the word phases. Quietmind.yoga slash three phases to get that free guide. So I hope you found this helpful. And this is the same framework that I'm using in my online teacher training that's starting on September 9th. The doors open there. It'll be open again in the future. So if you're listening to this after September 2019, it'll be open again in the spring of 2020. But it's just going to be open for September. So if you want to check it out, go to quietmind.yoga. You can see the waiting list to get on the email list to find out about the teacher training when it goes live. And I'll be teaching in this way. So if you like this method, if you find this helpful, if this makes sense to you, it's all developed with eight weeks in phase one, eight weeks in phase two, and eight weeks in phase three, and then your certification. So it's all step by step. And I have not seen anything even close to this level of structure and focus and intention behind uh, a curriculum. And I think that there's a lot of extremely valuable teachers out there and valuable teachings. But for me, and after doing many, many trainings, having it all just feel spread out and not sure how it's all connecting, 
uh, I wish there was something like this before, and that's why I've created it. Like if I were starting out in my teacher training now, if I was going to take my first teacher training, this is exactly what I would want to have. Knowing what I know now after 10 plus years of practice uh, and what, I, what would have been helpful to me 10 plus years ago, this is it. So if you find this helpful, I think you'll love the teacher training that I've created. And I'll be sharing all about that here on this podcast as the days approach. So we've got just about a month until it opens, but you can stay up to date on that at quietmind.yoga and join the waiting list to find out when the doors open and get some special bonuses that I'll only be giving to people on that list. That's right there at the homepage at quietmind.yoga. Right, thank you for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, you can leave a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Share it with a friend. That definitely helps more people find it. Uh, it's a new podcast, so it's going to have some time to grow, and you can help it grow. And you can be part of that by sharing this with your friends and leaving a review. That stuff really makes a difference. All right, so thank you for listening to this podcast, and have a great week, and look forward to sharing more with you next week when I'll be talking all about the best tool that I've found for retaining information. So really a phase one tool. So if you're wanting to memorize key terms of yoga, Sanskrit terms or anatomy terms, or knowing the different teachers and methods, and again, things like the koshas and the kleshas and the eight limbs of yoga, what's a great tool for memorizing that stuff and getting the knowledge of phase one? before you get into phase two where you're embodying that knowledge. I'll share my favorite tool that I've found and one that I'm using in my teacher training that I think you'll love on next week's episode. All right, thanks for listening.